الجزيرة بودكاست Russia is accused of blackmail by withdrawing from a grain export deal with Ukraine. Turkey and the United Nations are trying to salvage it. But how will this affect the global food crisis? Will countries that depend on shipments find enough food to eat? I'm Sahil Rahman and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests for this edition of Inside Story in Moscow, Andrei Balklanov, a former Russian ambassador to Saudi Arabia. In New York, Steve Matthews, senior VP of Financial Services at Grow Intelligence, an uh, analysis firm on agriculture, climate and the economy. And in Dnipro, in Ukraine, Marsha Belikova, a grain news and price reporter at Fast Markets Agri Census. To all of our guests, thank you very much for joining us on this edition of Inside Story. Marsha, can I come to you in Ukraine and the statement, uh, obviously by Moscow, that they're going to suspend their involvement in these grain shipments. How concerning is that news as Ukrainians hear it? Uh, hello. So, yeah, the news are really concerning. Uh, I can say that people were not expecting that something bad can happen because for the last three weeks, we already have seen a huge delays for the inspections for the vessels that come in and going uh, to Ukraine through Istanbul. And uh, also there was some rumor that was not confirmed that uh, from early November uh, the entrance can be closed mm. just because they have to um, free the queue. And also Russian statements during the last three weeks were not really supporting the trade deal, uh, the green deal. So it was not really a big surprise, but still a surprise. And for now, um, we see that vessels uh, live in Ukraine, uh, the vessels that have been already loaded and uh, and waiting for inspection. Sure. We'll, uh, get part it, of we'll, them. We'll, we'll get into more of this then, into into the, the, the nuances of the language. Uh, Andrei uh, Baklanov in Moscow, uh, can I just bring you in here? So good to have you with us, joining us uh, from Russia. Um, as Marsha says, was it to be expected? Did you expect this scenario to unfold the way it did? Had the attacks not happened uh, on Sevastopol at the weekend, would the grain shipments have continued? Well, when we have uh, accomplished something and do something positive uh, after several days, uh, the negative results appear. Uh, so, well, uh, uh, we tried very hard to uh, uh, to make a deal uh, with the grain and uh, to make this uh, deal separate from the very tense situation in the uh, in the Black Sea. Mm. And uh, but we failed uh, because uh, well the. Uh, this uh, well agreement was not accomplished 100 percent. It was accomplished only 50 percent. Uh, we gave way to the grain from the Ukrainian to go, and it went. But our grain was blocked from the very start. So from the very first day of the accomplishment of the of this uh, you, you know transaction, only 50 in in 50 percent uh, is it was more or less successful. Now it okay. is blocked after the attack on our ships. OK, let's bring in uh, Steve Matthews here in New York. And obviously we don't want to sort of make this uh, too much of a political conversation, Steve. It really is about finance. It really is about grain and how we get grain around the world, considering what's going on in Ukraine. When these sorts of things happen, 
not only do speculators panic, the markets panic, the financial uh, markets panic, the politicians start to panic, where do we start to look at how nervous the markets are or the industry itself when it comes to dealing in the financial commodity that is grain, wheat and corn flour oil? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I think that's exactly where to look. The the price levels of these global commodities, and let's keep in mind these are global commodities. Uh, the wheat market worldwide, uh, for for export anyway, is is well over 100 million tons, 160 or so. And so the the cutback here is very important at the margin, but it's not that big of a of a hit to the total export trade. The problem is the prices go up, and therefore. Uh, when this happens. Therefore, the people least, people least able to pay have the biggest problems as a result. And of course, um, Marsha, if I can come back to you in uh, Dnipro, obviously um, ships uh, in Sevastopol were targeted, however they were targeted and by whom has yet to be uh, verified, I suppose, independently. Uh, Moscow has a point that it is concerned and it is angry about what has happened. Inevitably, it's worried about the ships it says were damaged. Those ships are supposed to be the very ships that protect the grain convoys, hence their suspension from the deal. Now, the politics aside, if they are ships that are supposed to be defending and looking after and accompanying the grain cargo out of the Black Sea, Moscow has a point. Uh, no. You can easily see that uh, from the map, if you see where is Crimea and where is Sevastopol port and where is the grain corridor, because right now you can go on some um, apps that show in the vessels track, and you can see that it's far away from there. This is one point. But another point is that uh, inside the agreement, there was nothing said about the Russian vessels to be defending the Green Deal, nothing about that. It was said only that Russian side wants to be among the inspection and they want to be the guys who would be checking the vessels uh, coming and going mm -hmm. through Istanbul if there are if there are weapons or not, because they were saying that uh, Ukraine is uh, carrying some weapons in uh, or out uh, with vessels, which is, you know, not okay. true. OK, so l let's move away then from the politics. Ambassador, can I come back to you, Andrei uh, Baklanov, uh, in Moscow? Um, it, obviously, since the war began uh, and the special military operation, as Russia likes to call it, began in Ukraine, Russia has also been on a charm offensive to those countries in Africa, for example, who depend a great deal on grain and, and food security. Uh, if you take the grain away or you restrict the grain access, uh, are you or is Russia uh, politically uh, and diplomatically in danger of harming those relations? You yourself have been ambassador to Saudi Arabia. It's not a poor country, it's a rich country, but it also depends on grain from Russia and from Ukraine. Um, actually, as far as the practical side of the story, well, with us, it's no, no problem. We are uh, giving uh, access to the grain uh, transfers to our grain and to Ukrainian grain. And for, uh, as I told you, uh, these days, uh, this scheme dealing with the Ukrainian grain was uh, uh, going more or less okay. But there was a very strange 
phenomena which uh, seems to be a, a kind of deceiving us. You know, there was a lot of uh, noise and, uh, uh, well, uh, um, uh, accusations uh, dealing with the uh, hunger problem in, uh, in the developing countries. But uh, in turn to be that uh, from the 390 ships that went from Black Sea, uh, only 3%, 3%, 1, went to such country as uh, Somali, Ethiopia, Yemen, Sudan, and Afghanistan. And the absolute majority of the, of the ships came not to the countries uh, which uh, suffer from hunger, but to the Western Europe. So, well, it's a kind of deceiving. And of course, uh, we, we're feeling, well, uh, frustrated over the accomplishment of uh, this deal. OK, let me bring in Steve Matthews, because that is an issue that has actually been uh, raised a few times, uh, certainly from Moscow's side. Steve, when, when grain is transported, whether it be from Ukraine, Russia or anywhere else, there are obviously brokers, there are obviously ports It has to be then subdivided off, I presume, to then head off into other countries. Th this accusation being made by Moscow, and again, without being political, how does grain move and how does it get to the countries like Somalia, Afghanistan, Yemen, where it's needed most? Is it transported onto other ships? Well, yes, again, uh, it's a global market. So the fact that grain maybe went somewhere other than uh, other than where it was immediately needed does not necessarily imply any sort of uh, negative outcome, namely that if it were sent places that were less efficient, the price would be affected less by that by that movement, if you if you understand what I mean. Now, prices up uh, currently six point four percent today for wheat globally. And that is a very significant move. That is a that, that's not a normal daily move of the price of wheat. And that is that is bad news for people who are depending on on wheat supplies to get through the winter or to get through the next year or so. The global backdrop is is tight. We have the tightest stocks to use ratio, which is a way that people track this: how much do you have versus how much do you use? The tightest ratio since 2008. And so things like this don't help. Let's put it that way. Australia was too wet. This year during the harvest season, Europe had a heat wave, India had a heat wave. The US has too dry right now for planting. We've got a number of problems in the wheat market and the last thing we need is for less grain to flow out of the Black Sea. Marshall, I can see you nodding. I'll come back to you in a moment because I just want to take a pause and give um, our, both our guests and our viewers at home an idea of the context of all of this. Because in July, I spoke to the UN Secretary General when he signed that deal on one of our news hours. Antonio Guterres believed that Russia and Ukraine would honour their commitments. Of course, there is a matter of trust. Things need to go well uh, for uh, them to be able to uh, continue. But uh, we will do everything, everything in our capacity to make sure that things go well. And we will be there all the time uh, in the inspections, in the coordination center, uh, together with Turkey, uh, with the objective to guarantee that the parties will abide by what was signed today. Antonio Guterres speaking to me there in July. We'll have more of him in a moment. I mean, uh, Steve, can I come back to you? Because reputation and deals, uh, as we've seen, can affect financial markets. One misspoken word uh, and, and millions can be lost or gained. Prices can soar. How closely, in your opinion, speaking to your colleagues in, in, in this area of the financial markets, are they listening to what Kyiv, Moscow, and especially what the UN Secretary-General is saying? 
I would say very closely because this is a this is this was a material agreement that caused large amounts of grain to move successfully through the Black Sea where it had not been moving before since since March or February. Um, so as people are trying to decide what to pay for wheat, they take these statements and and action on the water into uh, very much into account. Uh, let me just bring in Andre Balkanov, and we just changed um, slight methodology here, uh, Mr. Baklanov. Nine million tonnes, uh, as was mentioned uh, in various news reports and by Marsh, has been moved so far in the agreement, which has to be renewed on November the 19th. Could this actually be a, a point of bargaining for Moscow uh, as we lead up to the 19th of uh, November? As you say, there are issues with the agreement that Moscow is not happy with. What needs to change, do you think, for that agreement to be renewed on the 19th of November? Well, uh, actually, I think that one point is missing in the overall scheme. Uh, this is the point dealing with the monitoring mechanism. Uh, the mechanism is uh, developing uh, it, at, at very strange dimensions, you know, and uh, uh, we cannot control it. And uh, when we have a concrete the data, how, how, what are the real results? The results are very far from uh, what was envisaged uh, at, at first. So I think that if you uh, have the opportunity to, uh, to uh, well, repair this mechanism, we must start from the problem of uh, uh, establishing a kind of monitoring well, uh, just to make sure that each day everything is uh, developing in uh, 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 in uh, in due manner uh, uh, as we agreed upon. Okay. Uh, otherwise, the agreement will not be fulfilled. Uh, Marsha Belikov, uh, Velikova in Dnipro. Let's just talk about uh, renewal of the agreement. We've had four months, nearly four months actually, of grain movements out of Ukraine unhindered. Uh, nearly what over over nine million tons has moved a small amount in comparison to what there is still in storage Give us an idea of how much grain uh, Is still or needs to be moved from Ukraine at the moment. What sort of problems do the Ukrainian authorities having trying to get that? Grain over to the ports for its for its movement Well, it's pretty hard to manage how much uh, just a lot because uh, we for now we were just moving the stocks mostly and uh from this nine million tons of grains and oil and also oils as well uh part of that is just from the old stock but we have a new crop and only for wheat we have 19 uh, million tons of wheat new crop and uh, from that uh, number, around uh, 11, 12 million tons that can be exported. Uh, for corn, we have we have an estimation of 26, 27 million tons for now, and uh, 20 million tons of that is what can be exported. We also have around 2 million tons for barley. We also have a lot of sun seeds. I don't really have the number right mm. now in my head, but uh, it's also a few million tons. So we the stakes have are a high. lot. The stakes, uh, are high. the stakes are high then, yeah. aren't they? The stakes are high for Ukraine. Yes, the stocks are high for Ukraine. Yes, that's right. And uh, if the deal would not be continued, of course, we still have some ways how we can move that yeah. grain out of Ukraine. But uh, the capacity is just like, you know, 
much lower. Okay. We can make something like two, two and a half million tons per month. So the stakes are high, not only for producers, but also politically. Let's just um, bring in more of what the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, said to me about the grain deal back in July. It is obvious that uh, there is nervousness, there is lack of trust. But this is not the first experience we have with Ukrainians and Russians in relation to the UN mediation. We had, uh, if you remember, and it was also agreed in the same context of my visit to President Putin and President Zelensky, the evacuation of uh, civilians from Azovstal. For months, people said it was impossible. For months, all, the, all kinds of uh, attempts uh, failed. But when there was an operation with a clear coordination with the UN, at the time the ICRC, the International Committee of the Red Cross, the Russians and the Ukrainians, it happened. And it happened successfully. And uh, uh, the commitments were respected. And I have no reason to doubt that today, with the same kind of attitude, we can do this. Uh, this is, of course, uh, a major achievement. I would say it's an unprecedented agreement. And uh, for me, as Secretary General of the United Nations, I have no doubt to tell you that this was the most important thing I have contributed to during my tenure as Secretary General. Yes, unprecedented uh, times and a reputation on the line, certainly uh, for the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. Uh, Mr. Baklanov in Moscow, the actual Secretary General has delayed his trip for a very important Arab League meeting in Algiers to oversee discussions with what is described by his spokesman as a senior uh, at the highest levels. Uh, I wondered who would the highest levels be? Is he speaking to President Putin or the Foreign Minister Lavrov? What's your impression of who he is talking to? Well, actually, quite recently, a few days ago, we. Uh, we discussed uh, these uh, problems uh, in the Valdai Forum, International Valdai Forum, with the participation of the President, participation of the Minister of Foreign Affairs, and our major specialists, uh, including specialists on grain problems and international grain problems. And uh, we came to the conclusion that uh, uh, the role which belongs to the UN is rather big, but the efficiency of the Secretary General himself as a personality and the efficiency of uh, the, uh, well, uh, the, those who are working for the UN, far from we have expected. Uh, so, uh, honestly speaking, we doubt that uh, in the days to come, uh, this uh, can be, uh, well, uh, amend, amended and uh, uh, the UN will play the role it should uh, have in real terms. Okay, let's bring in uh, Steve Matthews there in New York. Obviously, 19th of November is an important date, Steve. Um, in terms of the markets and in terms of uh, analysts, what are you looking to hear? I mean, we talked about this just at the beginning of the programme, but obviously the, the UN Secretary-General has a very small uh, window of opportunity to make things move again and to keep both sides happy. Um, I, I don't entirely agree with the idea that there's a small window. At any time, these sides can agree to allow this grain to move again. Uh, and of course, it's important for global grain markets that that happen. Um, as I've as I've said before, the the global grain market is in a very tight situation. A little bit of historical background: the post-Soviet grain, uh, the growth in the agricultural industry in the in the post-Soviet uh, territories has been nothing short of a miracle since 1990, 91, 92. And the uh, growing populations of North Africa and the Middle East have come to depend on that 
that flow of grain through the Black Sea, through the Bosphorus, and across the Mediterranean. And any interruption to that is basically reversing 30 years of development. So it's something to keep in mind when we're looking at the idea that this is something that can be blocked and unblocked uh, almost at will at, at, when the parties decide to uh, to agree or not agree. Yeah. So it, uh, traders will be watching very closely to see what happens on November 19th, that's for sure. But simply because something doesn't happen or does happen on the 19th doesn't mean it can't happen later or earlier. Mr. Belkov, can I just come back to you? Uh, you have very good uh, relationships with Saudi Arabia. You were the former ambassador uh, to the country. And I just want to bring in a report that was uh, published in February of this year where the Saudi Arabian state grain buyer, Sago, uh, are the uh, initials for it, said that it agreed to import 355,000 tonnes of grain from its Saudi-owned farms uh, uh, in Ukraine. Um, obviously, countries indirectly... Uh, are affected by what's going on in Ukraine. And you have very close relationships as a country. While you're not a diplomat right now, sir, does that put a strain on Riyadh and Moscow relationships as, as this scenario unfolds, as the war continues in Ukraine? Uh, well, uh, actually, uh, we discuss uh, in details and very frankly, frankly all these uh, problems with our, our Saudi friends. Uh, Ukrainian, Ukrainian problem. You know, it's uh, uh, due to our understanding, the whole problem about the export of Ukraine is a little bit exaggerated because uh, this role uh, objectively is rather uh, limited. It's uh, less than 1% of the overall uh, export of grain uh, uh, on, the, on the world. Well, um, uh, well as far as uh, well, uh, our point, uh, we are ready now to give free of charge additionally to the uh, countries of the East, uh, half a million tons free of charge. And we also are uh, giving uh, free of charge a lot of our fertilizers. But uh, what is necessary, it's very easy uh, to understand. It's necessary to unblock, to unblock and, uh, uh, well, annihilate uh, the, uh, the uh, well, limitations on our exports, uh, uh, due to the sanctions per practice of the rest. This is number one, one, number one problem. If this uh, is lifted, everything will be much easier okay. to deal with, including Saudi Arabia, uh, well, uh, uh, giving more opportunities to, 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 to help our brain. Okay, well, we'll see what does happen. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I think it's a conversation we'll have to have again in the days ahead, and I'm sure we will hear on Inside Story. But I would like to thank all of my guests, Andrei Maklanov, Steve Matthews, and Marsha Belikova, for joining us on this edition. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Eng, Nihad Al-Abedi, Fungi Nyun, and Jimmy Getterhan. Studio sound was by Haseeb Hashmi. The programme was edited by Anirban Saka, Lin Nguyen and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday.